At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Are you excited that you are free in Christ this morning? Amen. Uh, it's uh, so great to have you all with us and have you worshiping with us. All of you here are not afraid of the snow. Amen. And you are here to worship with us. If you're online, we're so glad you're with us as well. And uh, if you're new, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here, and it's just a delight to have you. Uh, before we open up the word, and before I pray, actually, in a moment, um, actually, if, if uh, Andrew Shakatano, who was singing in the middle, if you'd come out here for a minute, just for a second, I'm going to have you come out just a second after we do a couple of announcements. Oh, sure, you can sit down, that's fine. Or you can sit up here, it's all good. Um, but just wanted to connect with you about a number of things before we open up the Word of God. And number one would be, if you're new, we just want to connect with you. Make sure that you found home. Uh, we'd love to connect and say, hey, how can we get you plugged into the church? How can we get you on our next steps, which is the way that we get you connected into the church? So if you want to text the number, they'll throw it up on Facebook as well. Text connect to 248 um, And you'll hear from us uh, this week very soon. And uh, just again, this is a great way as well. A couple weeks ago, we did uh, prayer requests in the service. And then Friday, we went down, we prayed over them. And people at church were given all those to pray over them for you on your behalf. And man, this is another great way. If you have prayer requests, we want to pray for you. And our staff gathers every Monday for staff meeting. We pray over uh, many of you in the church. And so, man, if you have uh, something you love to ask for prayer, that's a great way to do it as well. Uh, well, if it's crazy what the world has been like the last two years. Anybody can acknowledge that? And uh, man, it, 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 it's, it's in some ways, some things are getting better. And so one of the ways is last week, we had the amazing privilege of, uh, if you were here, to hear from uh, Kim Smith, uh, from our partner in Africa. And uh, what's amazing about having here, you got to hear a little bit about what he does. Well, man, going forward, we have a number of people uh, that are, are looking forward to going back to short-term missions trips. And so, uh, man, we have them rolling out today. There's a pamphlet in your bulletin. Uh, if you look there, you can scan the QR code there. We did have a video. I don't know if we have the video ready to go or no. Okay, no, they're giving me this sign. So we don't have a video, but uh, you can see all that. There's a cool pamphlet that'll roll out and talk about all of our short-term trips that are opening. Some of them are on hold because there's travel restrictions, uh, but you'll have the ones there that are available. Okay, now it is playing. I'm really confused. Um, okay, let's just stick to not showing it right now. Um, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to have you partner with us in that. And man, that's the one of the great ways you can go and see what they're doing, partner with them, pray for them, and come alongside our, our, our partners there. And then we also want to acknowledge that today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And at Woodside, we believe that all life matters from the womb until... Uh, later in life as well. And uh, we want to acknowledge that. We also want to make sure that you have an opportunity to find resources. Also, if you want to partner with different organizations, again, in your bulletin, there's an amazing uh, handout there where you can scan a QR code, get resources if you need them. Also, join with partners in uh, Metro Detroit as well to help come alongside people uh, that need great help. As we acknowledge that, man, if life really matters, the end of that is, is that we have to do something about it. Amen? We actually have to engage. 
We have to partner. And I know uh, probably around Mother's Day, we'll do some more uh, work where you can actually generously give towards that end. And then we have a couple announcements just for our campus at Lake Orion. Uh, but you can scan the QR code uh, in your bulletin for that and find our announcements on our website under the Lake Orion campus. You'll find them there and find all of the announcements and stuff that's happening here at our campus in Lake Orion. So I asked Andrew to come out. I want to pray uh, in just a moment. I'll have him come up, and we're going to pray. But first of all, I just want to just for have a, a family conversation for a moment before we open up the Word. Uh, man, I just want to say thank you. Uh, if you have a bulletin, you want to grab one on the way out, you'll look that uh, you guys were so generous. Our church, online, if you're watching, our church was so generous over the last month and a half. You always are, but we asked you guys to give generously towards year-end vision items. And man, can I just tell you, we made up almost $50,000 of being behind in budget and then put on another surplus of like fifty dollars to $100,000. And we gave generously about thirty dollars to $40,000 just towards the year-end vision. And so I just want to say thank you. Man, the, the generosity of this place is overwhelming uh, many times. And man, if you're new, you're visiting, this isn't for you. Unfortunately, today we're talking about money, which will be great. But man, I just want to say, if this is your home, and uh, man, I just want to say thank you. You've been so generous and following the vision and the leadership of the church. And so I just want to say thank you for that as we continue. And I pray that that continues as we trust God with what he has and uh, for us to actually fund that going forward. So I'm going to pray for us today, but I want to bring up Andrew for a moment. He didn't know I was going to do this. I just felt the Spirit of God asking me to do this. Andrew is one of our teachers at the Oxford uh, High School. His his classroom is actually in the wing uh, where all the unfortunate tragedy happened. Um, I just wanted to have him here and pray over him. Uh, If you don't know, the students and the teachers are going back tomorrow morning, uh, back to school. I had the opportunity this last week with a number of other pastors to walk through uh, the the whole wing and uh, pray over that. And I found Andrew's room and sat in his room. And honestly, it just brought like... um, a presence of like, hey, I want to pray and ask God and the Spirit of God to be with him and all the other teachers, administrators, classmates, the students that are going to sit in those seats that had to walk and process through this. So I, want to, I don't want to make anybody feel weird either, but man, if, you, if there's anyone else here that I don't know that is a teacher at Oxford, maybe you have students there, and this is going to be a rough week, maybe a, a tough morning tomorrow morning, if you want to, would you stand up? I'd love to pray over you and maybe have someone else uh, gather around you and pray over you as well, if there's anybody. If, if not, no, totally fine. Or you can drop a comment online. We'd love to pray for you. But would you join me in praying? Um, and then tomorrow morning, would you remember uh, to pray over them? Uh, this is not a small thing. This is a massive thing in our community. But specifically for people like Andrew, as he's a teacher leading young students, for students as they process going forward. I know this is hard. We've had many conversations praying together. And so I just want to bring him up here, acknowledge him, pray for him. He blesses us with his worship ministry, but he's, he's leading young people every single day, and specifically young people that are walking through some deep waters. And so would you pray over Andrew with me, let's pray over church, and let's lift up all of our administrative staff, all schools. Honestly, if you work in a school, it's a, it's a hard time right now. So I just want to lift them up, pray with me as we go before God. God, thank you for today. I just thank you for um, who you are and your goodness, God. Sometimes we can get wrapped up in the tragedy of all, but God, there's so much uh, amazing stuff that's happened watching um, the community come together has been uh, unbelievable, God. And uh, God, I ask for an extra measure of grace tomorrow morning for Andrew, for all the other teachers, for the administrative staff, for superintendent, for also those that will be present, that God, that that you would be felt there, that it would be a, a peace there in that place, in the name of Jesus. That the brokenness, that, that, 
the, the tragedy would be um, not forgotten because it's good to remember, but wouldn't hold back uh, young people from moving forward in lives and seeing the goodness of you. And God, be with Andrew as he has to walk students through that, as many of the students that walk through hard tragedies are his students. Um, bless him, God. Be with him. Be with all of the others. Be with the teachers and staff. And be with all of the young people that are going back to school tomorrow with, with anxiety, with, with overwhelming feelings and um, brokenness and thoughts and processing stuff they don't know how to process. And so, God, we just thank you for Andrew, for his life, for his family, for his presence in our church, but also his presence in the community out there. Maybe a beacon of hope and peace in the school tomorrow morning and going forward. And we look forward to hearing about it, God. We just thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, brother. All right, um, I'm, I'm going to do my best to stand through the sermon. I already gave a couple of people signals. If I make a signal, they need to come get a chair. Uh, um, I, haven't done, I haven't stood this long yet, so you guys are my test dummies. Let's see if I can do it for 30 minutes. Um, some of you are like, you never preach for 30 minutes, James. So <laughs> it's okay. Uh, can you turn uh, to James this morning, James chapter 1? Uh, we've been in a series um, over the last number of weeks uh, called Living Faith. Uh, living faith, as the book of James, a very practical book, not just about knowing stuff, but about doing, about, about living out your faith and what it looks like practically, one of the most practical books in all of the scriptures. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how to deal with suffering within the kingdom of God and what that looks like and how it looks different than if you weren't a part of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to have wisdom. Talk last week, and, and how are you accessing wisdom, and are you, and, and, and wisdom at the end of the day is Jesus incarnate. You want to know what wisdom looks like for you every single day? Jesus, and how he lived life every single day. But the, the question was, is, are you going to the source of wisdom, and are you living it out, or are you just hoarding wisdom? Like, man, I just love to gather new thoughts and catchy phrases about God and all these different things, but are you doing anything with it? James moves to practicality, that living out our faith. And today it is really no different. As I said, today we're going to be talking about money, about wealth, about having stuff as followers of Jesus. And I just want to ask you a couple questions before we start. So the first one is I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. Don't just give me a Jesus answer, process it for a moment in your own mind, and think about it. Is having wealth or stuff or you know, whatever you would call it, is that a bad thing to be? You don't have to tell me, I mean, because there might be different people in the room, but you can tell me if you want. It's okay to speak. I always tell you all the time, so when you do it, I, want to, I don't want to you know, tell you don't, but yeah, like, just process that for me. Is it, is it a bad thing? So then, and then the other flip side of the coin would be, is being poor or not having a lot of stuff a bad thing? Some would be like, yeah, it is. So you think about that, is, is having a lot bad and is having a little bad? Because it's interesting when we talk about these conversations within scripture, the Bible talks a lot about stuff and money and how we steward them and what we do with them. But there's pendulums that people swing on. There's a pendulum that we hear a lot about. I, I talked a little bit about last week even. It swings way over uh, when we talk about the prosperity gospel. That, that God, if, if you love God, he'll have you healthy and wealthy and all the good stuff. And, man, and if not, you're just not having enough faith. You're not following Jesus. You're not asking. You're not receiving. And so we, we, we don't believe. We reject the fact that if you are a good follower of Jesus with enough faith, God will make you prosperous in every way. 
That's just not in the Bible. So we reject the prosperity gospel, which swings way over here about stuff. But then in response to that, oftentimes people swing the opposite direction in, in a poverty gospel. That, that you can't have nice stuff. That Jesus, man, for goodness sake, he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He didn't have a home. He wandered. He was, he was kind of a, a nomad, and he just depended on other people for stuff. And if you're like 20 or 30, still living in mom and dad's home and taking that as your answer, it's not the right one, okay? Like, Mom, I'm just being like Jesus. Jesus didn't play video games, okay? Throw it out there. So there's that pendulum that swings the other way, that there's a poverty gospel, that if you're a real follower of Jesus, you should sell all you have, give it to the poor, live on as little as you can, and if you go on a nice vacation, man, shame on you. Well, well, that's not in the Bible either. And both of them are extremes of what we find in scripture, and what I love about James is he's so practical that when we dig in, he, he brings our heart back to kingdom. Jesus had a lot to say about the kingdom. At the end of Jesus' life, what is said, I mean, he's, he's before all these people, he's about to be crucified, and they're like, hey, are you the king of Jews, king of the Jews? And what did he say is, my kingdom is what? Not of this world. It's another kingdom. And in fact, when you read Jesus' greatest work in the beginnings of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it is Jesus' manifesto, his sermon of what it looks like in the kingdom of God and how we should live now here in this kingdom. And then when he teaches the, 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 the disciples how to pray, what does he say? He says, what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy what? Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That as followers of Jesus, as we live out life here, that we should be bringing about and living in such a way that the kingdom of God is felt and realized here on earth. And so Jesus points to another kingdom. Just a short bit after that, Jesus shares, hey man, you're stressed about it, well, you're going to eat things, money, clothes, all these things. When you, when you think about all that, you have anxiety about that, what does Jesus say? What's his response? Seek first what? The kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. And what I want you to get today is that there's a way for you as a follower of Jesus to live out the kingdom of God in this kingdom. But it looks different. It functions different. And so when God comes to you in the book of James, he's saying, here's a different way to live. Here's a way of living out the kingdom, faith lived out in action about stuff and resources. And what, what he shares with us is, is this principle I want you to hold on to is that mature faith puts possessions in their proper place. The mature faith, faith that is a part of the kingdom of God, that is following Jesus, puts possessions in their proper place. And so we're just going to look at a few verses within James and, and see what it looks like for us. And you start with mature faith. What does it do in light of poverty? What does it look like to be impoverished in the kingdom of God? And I'll just be completely honest and blunt with you. Most in this room don't fit in this category. According to the world, most in this room are well beyond on the other side. Now, granted, I understand that many are, are struggling and they, they're not doing well. Okay, so we just need to be careful there because when we talk about prosperity in a moment, most of us in this, in this room, according to the world, 
and even really the United States, we're, we're, we're doing okay. We're not living off of one meal a day, right? So if you look in, in verse 9 with me, let, let's dive in. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Starts with. But in Christ, po- poverty doesn't define us. So poverty doesn't f- define us whatsoever. When he opens with the first verse of our passage, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the beginning, he talks about lowly brother. Well, who's, who's the lowly brother? It's not the youngest brother. When he talks about this, it's, it's kind of the idea is to be low in social status, that you don't have much. But also, other times, this word can be used, the condition of one's heart. That would be someone who's humble or a status, right? But, but most people believe it's, it's talking about someone's socioeconomical status here, that they are impoverished, they don't have a lot whatsoever. whatsoever. But, but the interesting thing is James doesn't use the Greek word that's referring to just poverty, which would be normatively used. And the idea would be that many people think that, 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 as you read it, is that as people experience social, economical poverty, it also brings them to a state of humility as well as they don't have much. But what's the action of the lowly brother or the lowly person who doesn't have much? What does it mean for us? What it means is he says to boast in his exaltation. Well, what does that mean? Like, exaltation, I don't have that. I am, I'm poor, or I don't have what I need. And you might even bring it to, to other areas of your life, not just maybe resources, because we might have all the resources, but you might be here today or watching online, and you're like, Jim, I've been asking the Lord, I've been praying to the Lord for a spouse, and it's been years and years, and I feel like I'm the poor or the lowly brother here, because I look at all the church, there's so many kids running around, a family, and I want a family. But God's not meeting that need, or Whatever it may be, I'm, I'm looking, I've been looking for a job forever, or man, God hasn't met my need in this way. I want to have children, and I'm the lowly brother. Well, what does he say? He says, boast in his exaltation. There's a beautiful passage in, in Jeremiah that helps us understand what he's talking about here. In Jeremiah 9.23, it says this, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him boast him who boasts, boasts in this. This is what we boast in, that he understands and knows me. Who? The Lord. That I may, excuse me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. He says, don't boast in all of your other stuff that you have. Boast only in me. And, he's, and James is saying those who are enduring poverty or um, extreme poverty, of those who are, don't have the status, I want you to celebrate. I want you to exult in the fact that you have a status with Jesus that far outweighs anything you have in this world, that you live for another kingdom of which you have a status that is so great it outweighs any status that you may not have here in the kingdom of earth. And he's saying, I want you to exult in your already present status in Christ and also the status that you will have for all of time. At the end of the day, this is what James is saying. The point is, is that our boasting is not in what we have, but it's whose we are. 
No matter where you find yourself today, we'll, we'll get to the next step in a moment, but no matter where you find yourself, the point of what James is saying, no matter if we're the smartest in the room, we're the wealthiest in the room, we, we have the greatest family in the room, we're the most blessed in the room, whatever it may be, James is saying, we don't boast in that, we boast in Christ. All of that, we'll get to in a moment, is but just fleeting. That the believer who is facing, in this context, a trial of poverty should not be ashamed or man if you're here and you're walking through really rough circumstances in maybe poverty and you need help can i just tell you don't believe the lie that you're diminished in the sight of god that god doesn't love you don't believe the lie that because of that god doesn't look at you with grace and love there's this amazing story. Back in Christianity Today in 2003, wrote this story that detailed the kind of extreme poverty that Christians were experiencing in Brazil. And, and this is what it said. I just want to read an excerpt for you. It says this, despite the many small farms, there's little food. Most people eat once a day, and one person in three is illiterate. So one in three people are illiterate. The region is the poorest part of the world's most Roman Catholic nation. But in the tiny town of Intaporanga, the Missionary Baptist Church is holding a fundraiser. A tithe for most of the church's 25 members is less than an American dime. Just let that sink in. Sir Neves, the 30-year-old pastor of the Missionary Baptist, was born into the village and was never gone to school. Jesus taught me how to read, he says. He is sovereign. Neves hosts a radio broadcast on a local station that the church members hope to keep on the air with the funds they raise. Radio is the only way the church members can regularly hear Naves preach. Otherwise, many members must walk 20 miles to church. With no cash income, Maria Lourdes has no tithe to give. Her husband is unemployed. The couple has two young children and rarely enough to eat. She decides to give the church her rooster. So nobody bring a rooster next week. That's not the application of the sermon, okay? They'll go home without. The only thing she owns is the rooster as her tithe. But she says, God has given us so much more. Just think about that for a moment. This woman actually shows her understanding, the understanding of her trials in poverty and her position in Christ. Her poverty does not define her. In all that she's experiencing, her poverty doesn't define her. Last week, when I bring Kim Smith up here, part of the reason I want that is because I want you to get an understanding of what it's like outside of this place that we live. Why we talk about short-term missions trips is because I want you to see and experience and feel what it's like for people outside of this because it helps us when we come back home to put resources in their proper place. And there's a couple of realities when you talk about poverty doesn't define us, is that, man, as you, as followers of Jesus, or you're watching online, followers of Jesus, as you walk through trials of poverty, don't despair. God loves you. He's still there for you. Your lack of, lack of economic um, um, wealth or, or status does not in any way diminish the love of God in your life. When God looks down, he sees sons and daughters. Second thing would be is how do those who are doing just fine look at those, or maybe I should say look down on those who are impoverished? And you might say, like, man, 
well, I don't, I don't do that. Well, when you see someone, what's your first assumption? Can I just make it in practical terms? You're driving down the road and you see a homeless person on the side of the road, have a sign up. What is the first thing you think about? If the first thing you think about it is, man, that person's probably an alcoholic. If the first thing you think is, well, they, I, I, they're probably there, you know, they probably deserve that. If the first thing in your mind is not, man, what a tragedy that that individual that is made in the image and likeness of Jesus is in a place like that. If that is not our first thought, then we have some work to do. We have some work to do to say, man, I want to see every person in their lowest estate in the eyes of Jesus, no matter where they are or what they're into. And man, we don't know the mental health of that individual. We don't know the addictions of that person. We don't know the person that we see every single day. What is it that our mind sees? Because God sees when he looks down, a person made in the image and likeness of God. And then, as we'll get there, now, as we move on to the second part, is that God calls us to share with the poor, see, to, to meet their physical needs. I'll just throw this out. This is free, but I struggle with people and say, well, what are they going to spend it on? If you could show me anywhere in the Bible when it says for us to be generous, to check up on what they're spending that money on, could you, could you send it to me? Because it's not there. If we're going to go down that road, just make sure everywhere else you spend your money, you know what they're doing with your money. We use it as an excuse not to be generous. But God calls us in an opposite direction. That's what we see in verses 10 and 11. Look what it says. In Christ, prosperity doesn't define us. Neither are defining us. In verse 10, and the rich, the, the context is boast. So he says the, the, the impoverished don't boast in that. And the rich don't boast in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. That in Christ, our, po- our prosperity doesn't define us. It doesn't tell us who we are. So James not just addressing the poor in the congregations that would have read James, but he's also he, he's saying, man, you might be in, in a state of prosperity. And he's talking to Christians within the church that are wealthy and have affluent are and affluent. And I would say, that's, that's a lot of us in this room. Like, myself included. I'm, I'm okay. My kids eat three meals a day. More than that, probably with snacks. You know, kids are constantly eating. Right? And in verse 10 and 11, he, he kind of uses a natural metaphor to let us know that life is, is, is disappearing. It's fleeting. It's, it's temporary, right? He says this verb, pass away. Now, I just want to say that this word is never used in the New Testament for judgment. So he's not saying that they'll pass away as a sign of judgment. He's just stating the reality of the truth. They will cease to exist like every other human being in the world, in their adventure of pursuing. And the final phrase in verse 11 reminds us that the rich person, like everyone else, will, know, will not know when their last day is. You don't, you don't know when it's coming. My wife had a dream last night that I died, so I don't know when mine's coming, so just be straight honest. She woke up at 5 o'clock somewhere, she's like, Jim, I had a dream you died. I'm like, thank you. It's going to be a great Sunday. <laughs> Everything I did, I questioned today. 
I was like, should I wear the, should I use a scooter? Shouldn't I? Should I just call Alex to, to preach today? I don't want to leave the house. Like, right? We don't know when it's coming. But he used this word pursuits. And, and this is actually a happy rendering of this Greek word. It would have the idea of like a way or a way of life or more the idea of a journey. And so what he's getting at is if, if they're in this journey of accumulation, he's saying, man, you don't know when the Lord's going to bring you off this world and where will you be found? Will you be found in a journey of accumulation and hoarding for yourself or will you be found living out the kingdom of God, living out with your stuff that we all have in generosity? Will we be living that way when we are, our life is fleeting and we pass from this earth? I mean, Psalm 49, 16 and 7 reminds us of this. He says, be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. We find this all throughout scripture. So some will respond, like I said at the beginning, and say, sell it all. Get rid of everything. You should live an impoverished life because you don't know when life is coming. I just want to press into the faultiness of all of that. I've shared this before, but have you ever realized the difference between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler? It's fascinating. Fascinating. Zacchaeus, a short little guy in the Bible, climbs up a tree, wants to talk to Jesus, finally gets, gets to, and, and he shares this. It's fascinating. In Luke 19, you can look at it later, he says, behold, Lord, talking to Jesus, half of my goods I give to the poor. It's pretty darn generous. Think about all of you have right now and give away half to the poor. That's very generous. I'm not saying that's what you have to do. That's what he did. Looking, and if I have defrauded anyone or of anything, I restore it fourfold. So he was a tax collector. He sold on his own people as a Jew and collected taxes for the Romans. And the way he accumulated wealth was overtaxing people so he could gain more wealth. And so he says, man, I'm going to give away half of what I have to the poor. And then if I have cheated anyone, I'm giving back fourfold. Pretty darn good response. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. Jesus is going to his house for dinner. Now, there's this other passage in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 19, that talks about the rich young ruler. And he, he comes to Jesus. He says, what do I do need, to, need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, man, follow the law. And he, he lists off some of them. And, and, and he responds back, I do all of those. Well, then Jesus' next response, I love it. He says, man, give away all that you have. To the poor and come and follow me. And it says, This guy left sad. Why? It says in the text, it says, Because he had great possessions. Do you know what's amazing in that text? The, the one Ten Commandment that Jesus didn't mention was, Will you have no other gods before me? Do, do you know what Jesus was doing? He was pressing on the God that he had the God of mammon, the God of wealth, the God of stuff. You know why he didn't do that to Zacchaeus? Because that wasn't Zacchaeus' problem. So you might say, like, Jim, why are you telling us this? I'm telling you this because God doesn't tell us how to be generous or how to live. He tells us how in the scriptures, how to live with what he's blessed us and given us, but he leaves it up to us to follow the spirit of God, to live that out every single day. But I'm telling you what he has a problem with is the accumulation of stuff because it's my God that I love more than following Jesus. And it shows that I'm living for this kingdom rather than the kingdom of heaven. And that's what he presses in, in this idea. It's not about stuff. 
He says, are we willing to put stuff in its proper place? Am I willing or am I being defined by my prosperity? I'm running out of time, but, out of time, but I, I love the way Douglas Moo writes about this. He says, take pride, not in your money or your social position. Things that are doomed all too soon to fade away forever, but paradoxically, in your humble status as a person who identif- or, uh, identifies with one who is despised and rejected by the world. So he says, rather than, 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 than place yourself and be defined by what you have in this earth, define yourself with the despised and rejected one, Jesus, in the world. He says, the point of the passage is this, then, that Christians must always evaluate themselves by spiritual, not material standards, maintaining such a perspective in the world that is in Insistently confronting us with a very different standard of measure is not easy. But if the church is to be the kind of countercultural, other kingdom society that Jesus intends us to be, establishing and propagating such a perspective is essential to living. And again, the point is not about having stuff. The point is we're not defined by the stuff we have. We're defined by who we have. Jesus. And then he calls us to live in light of that. The single way that a rich person or a fluent person, I I would, again, I'm not talking about Uber, I'm talking a lot of us here in this room, according to the world standards, demonstrate their prosperity doesn't define them is through generosity. I'll just be straight blunt with you. And again, I say this all the time whenever I talk about money in church, I don't want your money. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. That if all of your stuff, you could take that however you want it, points back to you only, you already know the application of the sermon. Is that God calls us to much greater than that. Well, lastly, he lands the plane in the few moments that I have. Um, we're gonna skip a number of verses down to see Again, he's moving to application, but he gets there in different topics, and then he lands the plane in verse 27 when he says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so what we find is that in Christ, not only are we not defined by prosperity or or poverty, but people are more valuable than possessions. That people are, are, are more valuable than possessions. He, he's talking about wisdom here again as he lands the plane on this whole section. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled. Can I tell you, this isn't just a religious statement, a statement of faith that we see at churches and on our websites, right? And it doesn't embody all of Christianity. So some people are like, man, if you're going to be a real follower of Jesus, you better be doing this. This isn't a long list. He's using it as an example But what he is saying is that one thing, it's one thing to to intellectually or mentally affirm doctrinal statements. It's a much deeper thing. And he just got done talking about it, hearing versus doing, to practice and embody the teachings of the gospel. That's what he's getting at. It's a much deeper thing. It's a great thing to say. Yeah, ministry should be about taking care of the least of these and orphans and widows and all this stuff. It's another thing. Are we actually living it? Are we actually doing it? He just brings two groups up, widows and orphans, to, to show those that would be the most probably limited in their ability to provide for themselves, 
Now, again, it's probably because there was no father for them or husband for them. And I'm not saying today, your husband doesn't have, there's a lot of boss moms in the room. That's awesome. But in their day, it was different. They would have been very vulnerable in their state. And he's saying, man, we go to them, we take care of them, because this is what Jesus calls us to, to do. Man, our, our concern, I'll just tell you, our concern for the hopeless and the helpless in our society, even the ones that make us uncomfortable, should demonstrate our religion is pure. And James says this is, this is essential. He says, at the end of the day, did you realize that the, the meeting the needs of the people on the peripheral is not an optional thing, but it's central to living out your faith in Jesus? Because oftentimes we don't live that way. But on the other side, he says, we're to keep ourselves unstained from the world. So we have a social responsibility and we have a personal holiness responsibility. And some people may be like, why in the world are those in the same verse, in the same sentence? He says, man, true religion is to care for widows and orphans and also to keep yourself unstained from the world. It's, it's fascinating. But I, I think it's there because these are essential about being with God and doing for God, living and being, right? At the same time, when we get into the, 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 the craziness of the world, to, man, in order to care for people, you have to be involved in their lives, right? That's maybe part of our problem, the first step is that are you involved in people's lives that are not like you, don't look like you, don't believe like you, would argue with you about your political views? And then you find them where they are, but I'll tell you, when you get involved in that kind of stuff, you, there, there might be a, a, a pull for you to go in that direction. Jesus says, no, you, you're there to meet their needs physically and spiritually, but at the same time, don't, don't allow yourself to jump in and become stained with the world, that you have a holiness responsibility. And I'll just say even further that I think there's a nuance in the text that says, if you're not doing the first part of caring for the least of these, the most vulnerable in the world, you're actually not living a holy life. You're not actually living out the ways of the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus is our example, as he often is in everything that often always is. Man, Jesus shows us what it looks like to live a pure life in the world before his father, but living to serve the least of these. I mean, just read the gospels. You should be constantly reading the gospels where Jesus is there with the lame, the leper, the unclean, the poor, the outsider, the widow, the women of ill uh, repute that don't have a very good reputation. And in all of this, he was humble and sinless. Can I tell you, this is the way of the kingdom of God, holding prosperity and holding poverty, not that it defines us, but living out the kingdom of God. Can I just challenge us? Christians should be cultural leaders in caring for the needs of the poor and the marginalized. We should be the leaders in this. It shouldn't just be something like, yeah, I believe that's a doctrinal statement thing, but are we actually doing it? And then our generosity should follow it. Human trafficking. People that don't have water to drink around the world, I think is essential to being a human being. Orphans, refugees. Amazing story I just heard last week at our all-staff meeting. At one of the performances at Troy of the Nativity Pastor Chris was in line to get coffee, and a few women just kind of cut in front of him. 
to get coffee. And someone came up and was like, hey, did you see they cut you? And he's like, yeah, I saw it. It's okay. And he's like, hey, I just want to tell you, those three people have been living with someone from church as refugees. He's been just giving them a home. And tonight, all three of them accepted Christ. First time they've ever been in a church before. That's believing one thing and doing something about it. And it's not just going to be costing me time, but it might cost me financially. It might cost me in the way that I live because I'm a kingdom person. I'm not defined by the things of this world. I'm defined by Jesus. I'm defined in the way that I should live by Jesus. Every single day. That mature faith puts its possessions in their proper place. That's the kind of people I want us to be. Now, wherever that finds us, I, I'll tell you, me reading this for myself, I always teach myself before I teach you. It's hard not to, unless you're just in a really bad place spiritually to just tell everybody what they should do and not do it yourself. That's one thing. But man, I, I try my best to just really wrestle with Like, man, okay, God, dang, man, I know that there are some real ways that I gotta, I gotta make some changes and, and adjust some things because certain things do define me. Do they do that for you? And are we putting our possessions in their proper place? Not portraying a, a doctrine of like, man, a, a, a prosperity gospel, but also not a poverty gospel, but wherever we land in between by the grace and sovereignty of God, hope, holding with open hands whatever God has blessed us with to then use for the kingdom of God our good and God's glory. Amen? And then see where God leads us. But man, I'll tell you, the first step might be just ask, asking God, what do you want me to do with my possessions? Because they're actually your possessions, God. What do I do with those? Man, if you're here today or you're watching online and there are people that are in a state of poverty and are struggling, I just want to tell you, we have resources at the church. If you're a part of this church and you need resources, please do not be, oh, it's too humbling to ask for help. Can you just come and we have an account for this where we can come alongside you and help you? We have resources. We have places. I mean, this last week, I'm not rambling, but this last week, even at the grocery store, I was there. A person from church here came up to me and said, hey, uh, Jim, do you know if we have any resources at the church? There's an individual that works here at this establishment and is homeless and lives in their car every day. And I've just been trying to help them, but I want to know if there's any greater resources to help them. There's people that you probably see every single day that are in a place that are in great needs of help. May we be the church to come alongside them. And if that's you, we want to be the church and coming alongside of you. Let's go before the Lord. I'm trusting the Spirit of God to bring about wherever we are and what he wants us to do and how he wants us to walk going forward. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for us being able to go before you and declare who you are, but also the opening of your word for you to convict and show and press on um, the places of our hearts and our minds that need to be addressed. And so God, I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would address each person in this room, wherever they are, whatever they're walking through. Maybe there's people here today, God, I know there's people here watching online that are walking through a trial of poverty in some sort. Maybe not in physical resources, but maybe relational resources, mental resources, Emotional resources. God, would you, would you meet them where they're at and let them know they're not defined by those things. They're defined because they're an image bearer of you. And if they're in Christ, they're defined by the fact that they are a part of the kingdom of God and you're their king. And God, may the, those in this room who are probably many who have um, much resources and possessions. May we live responsibly in light of the kingdom of God, bringing all of them to your feet and allowing you to do as you wish with them. For us to be responsible. 
But God, feel no definition that these things make us who we are. Rather, you make us who we are. May no person in this room leave today feeling shame that they have food to eat, a warm head, a warm home over their head, excuse me, much resources, because that's not what the scriptures say. There should be no shame in that, but may we feel the leading and the guidance of the Spirit of God to live responsibly with them, however you see fit, Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct us. And may we step out into where you're calling us to be your people, to be your hands and feet to those that are least among us, helping them physically and emotionally and spiritually, bringing them goods and the gospel. For your kingdom and for your glory, God, may we be your kingdom people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.